keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Thanks, Caitlin, and good morning, everyone. It's great to see you and to be with you this morning and a great privilege to be able to share with you uh, from God's word today. We're finishing off our series on the book of Hebrews, which was mainly last year, but uh, we're spending some time in Hebrews 13, the final chapter of the book, and just looking at some of the instructions that uh, the writer gives to the church that he's writing to. And today, just looking at one verse, in fact, um, the, the verse about marriage, which is verse 4. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. To think about this, uh, this verse, we just need to think a little bit about marriage in the Bible and a bit of the background to what the writer is saying here. And I uh, just want to mention a few things to you about marriage and some of the implications for our thinking about uh, marriage, what it is and what it should look like. So first of all, uh, we need to remember that marriage is a gift. Uh, marriage is a good gift from God to humanity in creation, that this is a gift that God has given to all, hu- all humanity, to all human beings, to all nations, and something that he's given us from the very beginning. And so, of course, this means that marriage is not a human idea. It's not just a kind of social construct, not something that we came up with, not something that God was surprised about when human beings started to get together in this way. Uh, but, all, of course, various aspects of marriage the way that marriage is expressed in societies, uh, we could say that that is socially constructed, but that marriage itself uh, actually something that comes from God and is his idea. And uh, that when two people get married, actually what's happening is that they are being joined together by God, that they're not themselves forming the marriage, but that uh, God is joining two people together. This is Jesus' own language uh, when he was teaching about marriage. This is Matthew chapter 19. Jesus is asked a question about divorce and in order to answer the question, uh, Jesus goes back to the beginning to lay down his understanding of what marriage is about. Uh, Matthew 19 verse 3, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
And Jesus adds uh, his comment at the end of this. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So when two people get married together, they're being joined together by God. And uh, this is not just Christians, but anyone. Uh, Even two atheists marrying one another are being joined together in marriage by God. And therefore, marriage is not something that two people make or create themselves. Rather, marriage is something that people enter into. Uh, something uh, bigger than them that they sign up for. Uh, the old-fashioned language for this is that marriage is an institution or marriage is an estate. Marriage is a way of life that two people enter into. Uh, one of the things that I tell students, I, I work with uh, university students during the week, I get to help university students to follow Jesus, and one of the things that I say to them when we're talking about marriage and weddings, I say... When, when you get married, the temptation will be to try and create the, the marriage service that reflects your special individuality. Do you know what I mean? That your marriage service, you will feel, has to be uh, completely, about, completely you and different from every other marriage service, different from every other wedding, uh, and express the unique people that you are. That's the kind of atmosphere that we live in. And it's completely understandable. Lots and lots of marriages happening, and we want to differentiate our our wedding from other people's weddings. But I say to them, actually, it'd be good if at least in some ways your wedding looks exactly like everyone else's wedding because you are entering into something that's bigger than you that hundreds, thousands, millions of other people have entered into before you, Uh, something that is uh, bigger than your individuality. And therefore, uh, marriage is not a particularly Christian idea or the possession of the church. It's something for all people everywhere. And God's blessing for people uh, in every place, at every time. It's good for everyone. Uh, It's good for children. It's a thing that is something of overflowing goodness. So that whether you yourself are married or not, we all benefit from the blessing of marriage in society. Thirdly, the Bible says that uh, not everyone needs to be married and that marriage is not necessary. And of course, we have the example of Jesus himself and the Apostle Paul um, to show us that this is true. But the key uh, place where this is taught about in the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul says that there are two gifts that God gives to people, the gift of being married uh, and the gift of being unmarried. And that all of us, in fact, have one of these gifts. All of us have one of these gifts, uh, the gift of being married or the gift of being unmarried. And what I say to students uh, when I mention this to them is just say, why don't we just pause for a moment and get clear about which gift we've got? Are you someone who's married or unmarried? And I say, let me just point out to you that if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, you're unmarried. If you're engaged, unmarried. If it's the day before your wedding, still unmarried, Uh, but once married, uh, then joined together by God. Uh, And uh, what this means is there are actually two good ways to serve God, two gifts, two good ways to live that God gives to human beings. And Paul says, on balance, uh, as he weighs it up, it's probably better to be unmarried um, because being married is a distraction from the most important things. And being married brings trouble into your life, he says. Um, 
And therefore, it's probably better to be unmarried. But if you do get married, he says, you don't sin. That's good news, isn't it? Uh, it's not a sin to get married. Um, so there are two good ways to live. Um, and uh, so it's just uh, good to understand that whether you're married or unmarried, you're not living some kind of inferior way of life, spiritually speaking, that both are good in God's eyes and both a gift to us. And in fact, the world needs both married people and unmarried people, and the church needs people who are both uh, people who are married and people who are unmarried as well. Uh, as I mentioned before, the Bible says that marriage is difficult and brings trouble. When Jesus talks about what marriage is with the disciples, they say, well, who would want to get married then? And, you know, they've got a point it, that if marriage is this demanding and this difficult, if you're called on to forsake all others and marriage is meant to be lifelong, then that's a difficult thing to take on. And Paul says marriage brings trouble. Marriage brings trouble into human life. It's a difficult thing to live in that way with someone else, someone who is also, like you, a sinner. And if you have children in the marriage, then even more trouble, even more little sinners to live with, and uh, or much more vulnerability to all the things that uh, the world can uh, throw at us. So marriage brings trouble. Um, Jesus, the, the Bible makes clear marriage does not solve a person's problems, if anything, it will bring a problem, a person's problems and difficulties out into the open and perhaps potentially even make them worse. So marriage is difficult. Fifthly, marriage is temporary. Uh, Jesus says that marriage is only lifelong. Um, and uh, while the law allowed for divorce, what it was doing was regulating divorce. It wasn't endorsing uh, the practice of divorce. So it may be that some marriages uh, do not last, but the ideal that Jesus presents is that marriage would be lifelong. But that means marriage is just temporary. It only lasts uh, a mere matter of decades at best. Uh, the best you could hope for in marriage is, I don't know, 60, 70 years. And so uh, marriage is just temporary. Uh, sometimes at weddings, when I'm preaching, when I'm allowed to preach, I might say something like this. Uh, the bad news about this marriage is that it's doomed. <laughs> this marriage is doomed. And that would be a true thing to say, right? That, that it can only end badly. Marriage can only end badly. Uh, and all marriages end badly. Uh, and it's important for us to grasp this, that it's a temporary arrangement. It's a blessing, but it's only temporary. And uh, it's going to come to an end. And uh, that's the story that we heard read about the, the woman and her seven husbands uh, you know, makes this clear that marriage is just temporary. Uh, it's not eternal. And uh, it's quite possible for someone to be married you know, more than once and have multi more than one good marriages uh, due to death um, intervening in the marriage. So marriage is just temporary. And uh, that leads to the, the final point that marriage points to something greater. Marriage in the Bible is understood to be a sign pointing to something greater and better and more lasting. And I'll say a bit more about this later on. But that marriage being a thing that is itself uh, marked by trouble and temporary uh, is something that necessarily points to something greater than itself. 
And that's what the Bible says is true. So this view of marriage uh, in the ancient world, it was, it was weird. It was a quite a weird view of marriage. Uh, it was weird when Jesus confronted the, uh, the Jewish leaders and teachers of his time. It was even weirder as Christianity made its way out into the Greco-Roman world. Because out there, marriage was treated very differently. Uh, marriage was treated perhaps as a kind of necessary evil, um, so that the human race could be, uh, so that humanity could uh, multiply in the world. Uh, but really, it was not highly valued as an institution. And certainly, uh, for, uh, especially for men, it was an opportunity for exploitation of women. Uh, it was certainly allowable for men to beat their wives and mistreat them. And it was certainly allowable for men to be unfaithful to their wives. And there was a widespread uh, practice of men visiting prostitutes. Uh, in fact, it could be part of uh, the religion of the ancient world to visit the prostitute. There were prostitutes in the temples and you could regard it as part of your religious duty to go and visit the prostitute. And so faithfulness within marriage was not prized. Uh, it, there may have been some expectations in some places that women would be faithful, uh, but not an expectation that men would be. And so as Christian faith spread out into that world, it, had, it was just weird. It just looked strange to the people uh, that... Uh, were hearing the message about Jesus. Uh, but Christianity did succeed in spreading within that environment. I think today, of course, uh, this view of marriage and this view of sex uh, will also tend to look weird. Uh, because this view of marriage included a particular view of sex as well. Um, it was understood that sex was really at the very heart of the marriage relationship, that sex was in fact the act of marriage and that marriage itself uh, was a one flesh relationship. This is the way that the book of Genesis spoke about it and this is the way that Jesus himself spoke about it. He said uh, that two people become one flesh in marriage and elsewhere the Bible says that uh, sex is the act of becoming one flesh with another person. Se sex expresses and reinforces the relationship of marriage. And so it's understood that sex outside of marriage is actually uh, two people pretending to be married. That's how much uh, sex is understood to be uh, linked to the marriage relationship. So it's a weird view, uh, and uh, I think that we will be tempted in some ways to say, well... Look, if, this, if, we, if we hold this view and we adopt this view, this view, it will stop people really taking Christianity seriously and people will be put off Christian faith. But it's just worth saying, look, it didn't actually stop Christianity spreading in the ancient world. Uh, having a different view of sex and marriage uh, in the end didn't prevent people coming to faith in Jesus and I don't think it would today either. Well, uh, how do we then do what uh, this verse says? Marriage should be honoured by all. How do we actually honour marriage? What does it mean to honour marriage? Well, this word honour is about esteeming something, about regarding it highly, uh, about acting and then acting in accord with that high regard. And in the New Testament, Christians are really described as being people who are honourers. 
it's not a very good word. We, we, we are, show, are people who show honour. Uh, we're told to honour one another. We're told to honour our father and our mother. We're told to honour rulers and authorities. Uh, we're told to honour people who spread the message about Jesus. Um, this is a basic kind of Christian behaviour and attitude uh, towards people and towards some things, such as marriage. Uh, and it's just worth saying that honour is not the highest kind of regard that you can give to something. Uh, and that the higher, the higher kinds of things that you could uh, give to something are worship and fear, for example. And we heard that in uh, the, the psalm that we said today, uh, we should fear the Lord above all gods. That this is, there are certain things that are owed only to God, worship and fear. And uh, we should not worship and fear any other thing or any other person. And uh, so this contrast between worship and fear, uh, between fear and honouring or worship and honouring comes out, for example, in Peter's letter, first letter, where he says we should fear God and honour the emperor. The highest reverence belongs to God. So the writer here is saying that we should honour marriage, but it's worth saying he's not saying that we should worship marriage. So there would be a problem with dishonouring marriage and there would be a, pro- a problem with worshipping marriage. And in fact, both things go on in our society. Uh, both things actually sometimes happen within the church as well. And so it's really worth being careful uh, that we don't stray off into either direction. Uh, how can people actually end up worshipping marriage? How does that work? What kind of idol are they creating? Well, uh, married people can make an idol of their marriage uh, by worshipping the status of being married. That they see themselves as, and their fundamental identity is, I am a married person. And that's what kind of justifies me and that's what makes me valuable and that's how I know that I'm significant and those kinds of things. Where, when a person draws their identity from being married. Or... Uh, they may worship marriage by kind of creating ma- marriage as a little sort of two-person cult. Have you ever seen this happen? This usually actually happens when two people get married. Uh, in the first year or so of marriage, they kind of just turn inward, and the whole world is just about that other person. Um, and that's kind of understandable, but if that continues, then you, you, really what you have going on there is a sort of uh, two-person religion, uh, which sort of justifies all kinds of selfishness, where the two people are just focused on each other and their marriage. Uh, Or you can turn marriage into an idol by worshipping the other person within the marriage, by seeing them as the kind of highest good, uh, seeing your relationship with them as the, the, the most significant, important relationship in your life, putting them above God. Uh, So married people can make marriage an idol, but of of course also unmarried people can make marriage an idol as well. Uh, They can see it as something that's like the key to happiness. I'm unhappy now, but if only I could find the right person to marry, if only I was able to get married, then everything would be okay. That kind of way of thinking about marriage is worshipping marriage, turning it into an idol, because it's simply not true. If you get married, the Bible says more trouble more trouble 
Um, so we want to be careful not to worship marriage, but we want to make sure also that we don't dishonour it. So how can we think about honouring marriage? Well, first of all, for people who are married, uh, just some things that I want to say particularly to them. Uh, if, you are mar- if you're a married person, then you can honour marriage by relating to each other on the basis of grace. Within the church, we're called to relate to one another uh, on the basis that Jesus has died for each person and each person has been forgiven graciously by God. And so we also welcome and include each other on the same basis. We treat each other on the basis of grace. That is, we don't have to earn our place with each other and we don't regard the people in here individually according to the way we assess them. So I give you like a 2 out of 10, but I give you a 7 out of 10 because you treat me relatively well, so I'm going to treat you fairly well. And look, I I treat you as a 9 out of 10 because you're a really great person and I'm going to try and be a great person to you. That would be uh, an ungracious way of treating each other on the basis of merit. We'd be regarding each other on the basis of our performance. But within the church, we're actually called to relate to one another on the basis of grace, to treat everyone else as a 10 out of 10, just as God treats us as a 10 out of 10, because Jesus died for us. And uh, simply speaking, in marriage, we want to apply that same principle. One of the strange things is that often when it comes to practicing Christian virtues like forgiveness, uh, the last place we apply these things is in our own homes. So we're actually better at doing it maybe at church on Sunday or out there in the world or in our small group or something like that. Uh, and the last place that it happens is in our homes. And I you know, see something similar like this with Christian students at university that they you know, can really get into, say, Christian ministry at university but treat their parents pretty shabbily at home. So home is often the last place. So forgiveness, treating one another graciously... Uh, is going to be crucial within marriage and a great way to honour marriage. In 1943, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned, uh, awaiting uh, execution. Uh, he had been involved in, uh, in some tangential way in plotting against Hitler and uh, he was locked up in prison uh, and under sentence of death. Uh, and during that time, while he was wait- uh, waiting in prison... Uh, he, wrote, he did a lot of writing, and one of the things that he wrote was a marriage sermon. So his niece, uh, Renata, was getting married, and he was asked to preach the sermon. Obviously, he couldn't be there, and so he wrote the sermon down and sent it off as a letter. So you can imagine at the wedding, um, they got up and someone read out the letter. Amazing. Uh, and this is some of the words from the letter. He said... Uh, God gives you Christ as the foundation of your marriage. Welcome one another, therefore, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's Romans 15.7. In a word, live together in the forgiveness of your sins, for without it, no human relationship, least of all a marriage, can survive. Don't insist on your rights, don't blame each other, don't judge or condemn each other, don't find fault with each other, but accept each other as you are and forgive each other every day from the bottom of your hearts. So uh, married people can honour marriage by extending that, that kind of grace to one another that God has extended to us in Christ. 
Secondly, married people can honour marriage uh, by practising the basic Christian virtues towards the other person. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Marriage is actually not based on love, but within our marriage services, we often have a promise to love the other person. And these kind of virtues express what love looks like. And so marriage is honoured when people extend that kind of love and peace and patience and kindness towards one another. Where there is gentleness within the marriage, there is an honouring of marriage. And this means, of course, that there cannot be any kind of abuse or violence within marriage. um, And to act in that way would be to greatly dishonour marriage, to dishonour the other person and to uh, uh, dishonour God's gift. So in the New Testament, husbands are particularly challenged to be considerate with their wives and never harsh with them and to have a self-giving and self-sacrificing attitude uh, to their wives. And within that kind of attitude, uh, I think there cannot be any kind of thought of exploitation or violence. And Peter warns uh, husbands that uh, they need to do this for the sake of their prayers. That is a subtle way of saying, look, if you don't treat your wife rightly, why would God ever listen to you? God will turn his face away from you if you mistreat your wife. Uh, so within a Christian marriage, uh, with, sorry, within a marriage, uh, those basic virtues uh, need to be evident. And finally, of course, uh, people, married people honour marriage by being faithful to each other. Uh, and that's the point that the writer here particularly makes to them. Let marriage be honoured by all and the marriage bed be kept pure. So the image here is of the uh, the marriage sexual relationship being something holy and if uh, people within the marriage have sex with someone else, then that is a defilement of the holy thing, the marriage bed. Uh, And uh, he goes on to say and warn them uh, that God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Uh, So people honour their own marriages by faithfulness, uh, by not seeking intimacy with anyone else outside the marriage and uh, continuing to do that through all the years of marriage uh, and certainly not interfering with anyone else's marriage. And similarly, unmarried people honour marriage in, a, in, a, in the same way. You honour marriage by not interfering in the relationship of married people. By taking Jesus' words seriously, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so to enter into a sexual relationship with someone who is married is going against that. It's separating what God has joined together. And so both married people and unmarried people need to hear that solemn warning. God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Adultery here... uh, when a married person has sexual relations outside the marriage, sexual immorality more generally, people engaging in sex outside the bounds of marriage. Uh, And this is not the only warning about that behaviour. 
in the New Testament. It appears repeatedly in the list of things that will keep people out of God's kingdom. Uh, and in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says that God uh, will, is an avenger in these things if you wrong, especially if you wrong a brother or sister in this matter. That is, we need to treat one another as brothers and sisters. If we harm each other's marriages, then we're committing some kind of crime against our brother or sister. Well, I don't know, as you think about this, uh, how you're feeling about it now. It may be, of course, that you're feeling guilty because you have in some way uh, done this thing uh, that Jesus and the writer of the Hebrews here warns against. But it might be that you're feeling fairly good about it because you can say, you can hold your head up and say, uh, I have never, if you're a married person, you know, I've never had sex outside our marriage. Or if you're an unmarried person, you might say, I've never had sex with someone who's married. Um, and you might feel, you know, that might feel kind of good. Well, that would be good. Uh, good to be able to say that. But it's just important to remember the standard that Jesus actually puts before us, uh, which is about not just our behaviour, but about our hearts as well. So let me remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, You've heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so I just want to suggest to you that uh, we have probably all dishonoured marriage in some way at some time, that we're all guilty uh, of not showing full honour to marriage. Uh, we've been unfaithful to spouses, some of us, and we've been unfaithful to God in our minds, at very least in our hearts, uh, if not in actual practice. And so we all need forgiveness uh, and we all need uh, to be remade. And the good news of the gospel is that God is faithful even when we have been unfaithful. Uh, look at what the writer to the Hebrews says here. Uh, down in verse 5. God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The Gospel tells about the way that God came into our world and that he has been perfectly faithful to us. He gave himself up for us completely and totally like a husband giving up his life to save his wife. He died to make us pure he died to make us holy. He died so that we could be with him forever. And this future that we have with God is pictured as a great marriage, as a great wedding celebration. And it's a wedding and a marriage that is eternal and perfect. It's a wedding and a marriage that will fulfill the deepest desires of our hearts and satisfy us in every way. Our marriages are just temporary and our marriages are faulty in all kinds of ways. But this is the perfect marriage, the marriage of Jesus and his people forever. Listen to the way that it's described in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. This is what John saw and heard. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude 
the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thunder peals crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give, the, give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it goes, he says later on, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These words are true words of God. We're invited to share in an eternal marriage. We're invited to share in a perfect marriage. And in order to share in that, we are forgiven for our unfaithfulness through the perfect faithfulness of Jesus. And through knowing Jesus, we can start to learn greater faithfulness. As we get to know the perfectly faithful one, Jesus, we can learn faithfulness ourselves. We can honour marriage without worshipping it. We can endure the struggles and difficulties of being married or of being unmarried because we are looking forward to the great marriage. I'm not sure what is going to happen in your life and mine. It could be that you just make a mess of being married. It could be that you make a mess of being unmarried. You may even make a mess of both. Whatever happens, there is forgiveness. And more than that, there is the hope of sharing in that eternal marriage. There is the hope of sharing in that eternal marriage. So next time you get invited to a wedding, and I think this is always a test because my first reaction is, oh, no, not another wedding. <laughs> Are you like me? I don't know. Um, next time you get invited and go along, uh, here are a couple of things to think about and to do. First of all, I think it is worth having a great big celebration because marriage is a good gift from God, and so we should join in the celebration uh, because we're celebrating not the two people necessarily themselves. Uh, they may not be particularly nice people and they may be making a disastrous choice. But it's a good gift from God. It's a good gift from God and so that's worth celebrating. But more than that, the marriage is helpful for us because it's a sign. It points us towards something greater. It points us towards the great marriage of Jesus and his people that we will all get to be part of through faith in Jesus. And so marriages, weddings are something that should greatly encourage our faith and grow our hope for the future. And that will help us actually see marriage in a right perspective so that if you are married, you can honour it rightly without worshipping it. If you're unmarried, similarly, you can honour marriage also without worshipping it because you're worshipping the true God who invites you to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for this precious gift of marriage. We pray in your mercy that uh, marriage would be honoured within our church and that it would be honoured within our community. Uh, we pray that you would please help us not to worship it, but to worship you alone. Please forgive us for when we've done that. We pray that you'd each help each of us to properly honour marriage. We ask for your forgiveness when, for when we've dishonoured it, especially for when we've dishonoured it uh, through our actions, our thoughts, 
through unfaithfulness. But please, we ask, place within our hearts a great hope for the future. Place within our hearts a great hope to be part of the great marriage. Thank you so much for your forgiveness. Thank you so much for your invitation. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.